you want to build your authority, then you need to be sharing your ideas, your insights, your content in places where your audience will find you. Places like LinkedIn, Instagram, Medium, and Twitter. You've certainly heard that advice before, and it's good advice. It's helped hundreds of copywriters rise above the crowd and get noticed by the clients that they serve. But if you really want to stand out, the way to do it is by showing up in ways that no one else has thought of before or isn't doing currently. Instead of posting on someone else's platform, why not create your own? Hi, I'm Rob Marsh, one of the founders of the Copywriter Club, and on today's episode of the Copywriter Club podcast, my co-founder Kira Hug and I interviewed copywriter and magazine publisher Sophie Cross. Sophie is the publisher of Freelancer Magazine, a printed quarterly magazine all about the ins and outs of working on your own. And as you'll hear her explain, Sophie wanted to create a platform to help her get noticed. So she started her magazine and we wanted to understand what it takes to publish and mail a 100 page magazine four times a year. Turns out it's a lot of work. We also talked about freelancing in the hospitality industry, creating courses and other assets and Sophie's advice for anyone working as a freelancer today. Stick around because this episode is pretty good. But first, this episode of the Copywriter Club podcast is brought to you by the Copywriter Underground. That's our membership for copywriters and content writers, marketers of all kinds. It is an amazing value. Some of what you get as a member. Yeah, I have a monthly group coaching call with Kira and I where you can get answers to your questions, advice for overcoming any business or client or writing challenge that you have. There are weekly copy critiques where we give you feedback on your copy and content. Sometimes we also talk about other copy that we found out in, in the wild. There are regular training sessions on different copy techniques or research techniques and business practices, all designed to help you get better as a writer, as a business owner. We're adding all kinds of uh, AI tool reviews and discussions over the coming months to help us all use AI as a tool to get more done in our business. And that's on top of the massive library of training and templates that is already in the underground. And the community is uh, honestly one of the best communities, copywriters who are willing to help you with just about anything, feedback, answers to questions, even sharing leads from time to time. You can find out more about the Copywriter Underground at thecopywriterclub.com forward slash TCU. And with that, let's go to our interview with Sophie. All right, Sophie, let's kick off with your story. How did you end up as the editor of Freelancer Magazine? Um, okay, so <laughs> I ended up as the editor because I made the magazine and made myself the magazine. Good reason. That is a very good, good way to start. Yeah. Choose yourself, you know, is what I, I say. Um so yeah, I I was already making a magazine, had a little bit of experience. So my my background's in hospitality marketing before yeah, well, when I went freelance and before I went freelance. So kind of had the experience making hotel brochures and, and collateral and things like that and didn't really, you know, you can only look back at the stepping stones, can't you? You can't sort of see where they're taking you. So, you know, I sort of didn't think much of it at the time, but actually kind of now realising that I had this real passion for printed collateral and things like that, I then started making a magazine for quite a big hotel group in London Um and that got pulled at the beginning of the pandemic. So I had a little bit of experience, but not, um, you know, not from a kind of anything to do with journalism or anything like that. Um, and yeah, I started making courses for freelancers, marketing courses when the pandemic started. And I was thinking about how to create content for freelancers that would kind of put me at the forefront and would, would you know, show me as an expert in, in freelancing and marketing. And I was kind of thinking about doing a podcast or a blog. Um, and yeah, I'm I'm definitely more writing than speaking. <laughs> so um already kind of had a newsletter, blog felt a bit, you know, a bit past it, but then I went kind of even more past it and went back to uh I thought, you know what, I'll I know how I'll get people to pay attention. I'll post it through the letterboxes. <laughs> and um yeah, I just suddenly had the thought that there wasn't already a magazine like it for the community I was part of quite a lot of freelance communities online so I knew I would have heard of it but that was also great to launch it because you know I was already quite a big part of quite a lot of freelance communities so yeah that's how it that's how the magazine came about 
I'd love to um, back up just a little bit and talk a bit about hospitality marketing before we come back to freelancing in the magazine. Um, Hospitality marketing strikes me as a really challenging niche because it's in so many ways, it's a commodity. Uh, you know, you're you're buying a room or a restaurant or, you know, and, it, and there are so many options. And yet there's also sort of interesting ways to differentiate. So will you just tell us a little bit about your experience there and the kind of work that you were doing and how you helped the, the different brands and companies that you were working with to grow? Yeah, sure. Um, so my, I mainly work with hotel groups before you know before I went freelance I mainly worked with hotel groups and then even when I went freelance largely hotel groups so I mean it's really interesting from the you know the respect that you have rooms to sell you have a bar to sell you have a restaurant to sell you have a spa to sell so you have all of these different things um I worked with Hilton for a long time I worked with Holiday Inn for a long time I worked with Park Plaza so I've worked for a lot of big hotel groups um and yeah I think the challenge really is, I I think the biggest challenge in it in hospitality marketing is kind of getting marketing and operations to work together because it's really easy to put these amazing things in place. But if you haven't got front of house supporting you with that. So I think one of the main things is the relationship building and the training between marketing and the front of house teams, because you can be doing it as greater marketing as you you like but if people aren't picking up the phone you know in the restaurant then that's not going to do you any favors so I think just making friends with the restaurant manager is always helpful um I think just getting back to basics and and building your database you know I just think that's so important for so many companies but actually you know hotels and restaurants and everything they have such opportunity to data capture which they probably don't take and then creating a really you know an actual really interesting newsletter for their for their their local market and it's and it's you know it'd be quite easy to target you know even if you have a business audience and a and a um, leisure audience you know you could be creating two different newsletters if you're a restaurant then you could be putting some really interesting stuff together about the local area to be making people open that that newsletter i think on top of that, you need to be creating events, you need to be creating packages. So, you know, whether you're a restaurant or a hotel, um, giving people reasons to come and visit you. Um, so with Hilton, we created mini breaks. So we would create um, heritage, spa, golf and theme park packages. And you're going to your, you're going to other local businesses and asking to um you know get a discount on bulk tickets and then you're creating a package for people to come and stay but you could also do that if you're a restaurant you could do it if you're a bar um you know i've seen some great things like uh hotel bars and bars and pubs even um turning themselves into co-working spaces during the day when they're you know when they when they've got spare capacity i mean it's just you know it's then just reminding people that you're there and putting them at the forefront when they're actually looking to book their birthday dinner out and things like that as well so yeah hospitality marketing still a bit of a passion of mine it kind of yeah. keeps thinking about going back into it in in one way or another but yeah I, I feel that passion yeah. um me excited to do it so are you are you working in it now it sounds like maybe you're, you hit pause on it for now yeah I did I hit pause on it um when I started the magazine actually and, and okay. really was focused on productizing like before before the pandemic hit I was already had half an eye on kind of productizing my business and I was like really interested in that kind of not selling your time one for one and you know how you create I didn't know quite what it was whether it was courses um or you know packages or I wasn't quite sure but then yeah the pandemic gave me the opportunity to kind of go for it with the courses and really start from you know I was making uh, and I don't think there's anything wrong with Canva in a lot of ways I don't know if you guys do you guys use Canva are you familiar with it yeah but I was using it quite badly (laughs) to make courses um and yeah so it gave me the opportunity to kind of really beta test like I think the content was good but um graphically and and things like that were not good and and yeah just start really started from scratch um 
and yeah started creating courses and then had the idea for the magazine so was then kind of focused on you know creating this business that was was productized and scalable and and looking at automating it as much as I can really but yeah the consultancy and everything is like I was actually thinking of starting a newsletter for the hospitality industry next year but not quite sure (laughs) (laughs) breaking news right here um well before we shift away from talking about this I would love some advice because there's a winery in my town that I think is adorable and I like love their values and it's family run, but you know, it is a small business. And so how would you approach it? And maybe this could help other writers who want to approach a local business where, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, you know, there's really not a huge budget for marketing, but you also know you can help them Mm -hmm. get more people in the door. So how would you look at that approach maybe step-by-step so that, um, you could potentially work with some of these local clients. Yeah, I mean, I am a big believer from a marketing perspective of picking your best social media channel and having a newsletter. You know, from and I think that goes from, you know, a one person business to a, you know, massive corporation. Um and obviously they're really great things for copywriters to help out with either kind of creating content for social or and um newsletters so I think I would pitch it in that respect in some ways and you know they don't have to be massive budgets but you could put you know it's difficult isn't it in terms of like how many ideas you want to give away in your pitch um but I think just explaining the process of how they could grow their database and how you know in like in person but also via a social media channel and then how you could be creating a newsletter and actually instead of giving away the ideas finding someone else that's doing it well you know finding an example of best practice and kind of saying to somebody hey and it wouldn't even have to necessarily be exactly the same type of business right it could be a similar business or maybe a bit a different business with a similar target market um and yeah I would be pitching in in that respect um to say you know and and it it, 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 there's exact deliverables then for the client as well isn't there because they're knowing okay we're getting we're receiving like one newsletter a month or um you know plus 10 social posts a month so yeah that's how I would would go about it you're All testing right. me now because I haven't done client work for a long time. I, I feel like, I, well, I feel like that, yeah, and that advice I think applies to a lot of niches, uh, not just hospitality, but um, mm. that's a that's a need in so many areas. So I think it's great advice. Um, okay, let's uh, want to come back now to the magazine. Um, yeah. A lot of people would say magazines are dying, you know, these days. Um, I share your passion for like my favorite part of. You know, when I go to Barnes and Noble or whatever the bookstore is, is to go to the magazine rack because there's just so many new and different things there, so many different interests. Um, but the economics of starting a magazine are not easy. So talk us through that decision. Like, why did you even decide to do something physical that shows up, you know, with all those extra costs as opposed to, say, an online magazine or something else? Yeah, I mean, sometimes I question that myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it was great because we launched via Kickstarter. So we had um, funds to start with. And actually via the Kickstarter, we just sold copies of the magazine. So it was a way of kind of testing, the, like it was our minimum viable product to some extent as well, because it was, and, you know, it gave that sense of urgency. Like if you do want to get on board, there's 30 days to get on board with this campaign. So that definitely helped from the startup funds. I suppose I've just felt that, um, yeah, the whole point of the idea was to kind of catch people's attention and um, to have, we do have a digital version of the magazine, but I suppose to have a purely digital version would have felt like, like kind of would have felt like a blog to some extent, right? Like you're designing it, but you know, A lot less valuable, for sure. Yeah, exactly. You know, there's not the same kind of tangibility, but also I just think as well that 
receiving it through your door like it reminded me of when you're a kid and you get a magazine through the door and you feel like you're part of a club but obviously as a child you couldn't get in touch with any of those people the beauty of the magazine is you know lots of people are on social media together they see each other share the photos of the magazine when it comes which is just brilliant for us because I don't think that happens with a consumer magazine like as often right like we um our target market is is freelancers small business owners who are looking for content to share they're looking to make connections so it's fabulous for us that people share the photo of the magazine and then they really do feel like part of the club but just a really simple thing as well which um you know I didn't really think too much about it, it kind of was an obvious thing to do but for every person that we have featured in the magazine they have like their best social media handle um so it just means like everyone that's always featured people that the readers really are connecting with each other and they really do start to feel like they're part of you know the freelance magazine community and and definitely they are we also have um virtual co-working sessions three times a week soon to be four times a week we're going to add an afternoon a uk afternoon time zone so we're going to hopefully get more people from the states and things like that so um yeah so people can actually see each other in real life well not in real life in virtual real life um yeah so and um, yeah we have we had a uh, an in, in-person christmas party this year as well so that was our first proper in-person party we do do some co-working in person as well in the uk so people are really genuinely connecting with each other which is is amazing so let's talk about the practical side, because I also am a magazine fan and so excited to get my copy of your magazine. And I'm just wondering, like, how do you actually put this? How do you just get started when you had the idea and you were like, OK, I'm doing this during the pandemic? What are the first, you know, three to five steps to even make this a reality? I mean, I'm sure there are hundreds of steps, but maybe we can just talk through the first five yeah, for sure. Um, the first step was contacting Angela Lyons, who I'd been making the hotel magazine with. Um, so she was the the designer for that magazine, and we'd 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 never actually met in person, but we'd we'd probably been doing it for a couple of years and bi monthly, and we'd we got on really really well. We'd become good friends. So called her and I said, "Look, <laughs> do you want to make a magazine? Like, if I make a magazine, will you design it for me?" She said, "Yes." Um, and then, do you know what? I just started telling people straight away. I think I was on a podcast, a freelance podcast the next day. And I said, like, I'm thinking of launching this magazine. Um, I started going on social media and saying to people, I'm thinking of launching it. Like, I just didn't keep it a secret at all. Um, I started within a week or two because I didn't really have much else to do at the time so it was like very very quick and it was like do you know what I need to fail fast if this is not going to work I don't want to learn in a year's time I just need to know so I did want to like this was January 1st I came up with the idea and I wanted to launch the Kickstarter in January but a couple of people said look you need a you need a bigger pre-launch period for the Kickstarter so I launched it in February um so I launched at the end of February to be fair but um yeah I just started telling people I started um growing a database so um we went out with like what cover what cover design do you like like if you want to vote like join like join our mailing list um and just asking people for their input on things so that when we launched the kickstarter we already had a mailing list to start um targeting people with um yeah and we started so what the hotel group had kind of left me and Ange to it so we use a flat plan and then we use a google sheet so the google sheet has like all of our pagination in it and then the plan features and then I put the link or whoever's the writer for that article puts the link to the copy and the images and it, it's kind of that simple um and we work through it like that so we already had a kind of it's a rudimentary process really but it, it works you know it, it does work and um Angela designs the article she sends them back to me um we have a proofreader now like we have quite a big team now at the time like I think the first four issues I mainly wrote all of them myself and now there's about 
like I want to say there's about 15 people involved now like um so yeah free, all freelancers which is great but yeah we started making the first one so that in the kickstarter we could give people as much information as possible we could show them some of the layouts we could show them what it was about we made a video um that told people you know all the kind of if you're gonna launch a kickstarter or a crowdfunder these are all kind of the what people will tell you on the checklist like do these things and I think that's really great because even if you aren't launching a business by crowdfunding these are kind of the things you want to be checking off your list anyway like you know you want to be um building a mailing list you want to be telling people early you want to be showing people as much as you can about what the product's going to be like you want to be creating a sense of urgency so that people you know maybe have a limited time to kind of express their interest for it um yeah so that's probably that's probably like the first 20 steps sorry and as you think about an issue uh, i know most of them are themed there, there seems to be a, th a theme for the articles um as you put that together does that and there's a form on your website where you're soliciting ideas for features. So I'm assuming that some of those ideas come from there. But um, do you start with the theme and then start looking for people to write articles or decide what you're going to take on? Do you welcome pitches? Uh, you know, let's say that Kira and I had a great idea for a theme for your magazine. So we said, hey, we'd love to, you know, write this article. Like, how does that whole process come together as you decide what's going to be in each issue? And and you know themes that kind of thing yeah sure um so we have quite a few regular features and are it's mainly written by a freelance editorial team so we mainly have the same writers and we maybe we maybe have i want to say six to eight writers that write every issue and they might do the same features and then they'll find um appropriate people that kind of fit in with the theme around that feature so for instance one of our features is do give up your day job so we always focus on somebody who you know has quite an interesting kind of employment to self-employment transition story um and you know maybe sometimes we'll get people or we'll know people in the community that um will fit in with the theme or that we definitely want to kind of earmark for the future we might get people kind of pitching and saying and i think that is you know that is a tip is if you are going to pitch, you know, do check out the future themes and do check out the regular features because that's the easiest place to start. You know, if you have something that fits in with like a magazine's reg regular features, then, you know, they're going to be looking for people to do that. Um, we probably have a couple of writers or a couple of people each time or people that we interview that that change. But yeah, it's just a mixture of... Um, people that pitch and the writers on the editorial team finding people me finding people but we just we just never run out of ideas really I think people often ask me like oh how do you how do you keep getting ideas and I just think you just can't run out of ideas really can you like I don't know I don't think writers can <laughs> yeah you I don't know yeah. Oh, well, I mean, that's what writer's block is, right? But I, I suppose if you've always got your ear to the ground and you're always, you know, paying attention to what's going on in the community, yeah, the ideas just happen. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the ideas come from other people as well, right? You know, it's other people sharing their stories, which is which is great. So what would you tell yourself from the early stage? Like we can talk about how you scaled it and all that, but from those early stages, what would you do differently or what advice would you give yourself? Um, especially if there's someone listening who wants to start a magazine, what would you tell them? Yeah, I mean, I think like without being too arrogant, I think we did do a lot of things right. And we moved very quickly from the Kickstarter onto a like a rolling subscription model. And I see some magazines starting. We first first we just set up our website in Squarespace, which had a subscription model. But do you see some magazines starting that um you know they don't and, and also via the kickstarter we sold annual subscriptions so we had that kind of chunk of money up front um and we knew we had to make the first four and that you know that's obviously a commitment to make but at the same time i do see some magazines starting they do issue one and then they're starting all over again like trying to market and trying to get people to buy issue two and i just think try and get people on like commit 
like commit that you're going to do this even if it's biannually um get people kind of signed up to to you know on a rolling subscription if you can because you do not like it's hard enough already without having to start again marketing every issue um i think honestly i probably would have gone for a higher target in the kickstarter like i think we raised about eighteen thousand pounds but actually we raised it quite early like we we hit our target a little bit early and you know actually i didn't have a clue what to to pitch it at like it seemed like an enormous amount of money to me um and you know i probably started at about 10 and then like two days before was like no maybe i should do 12 and then kind of went up to like 17 or 16 and we 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 overfunded but actually you know but you it's so hard to know right it's so hard to know it depends on the size of your community it depends on how much people want it um and i probably would have got more people involved from the beginning because um it's just so easy to burn up like it's just so easy to like you're doing so you're doing so much like trying to create something and market it and manage a team and like there's so many elements um so yeah I think one of the things and, and, and this probably goes for lots of businesses and one of the things we can certainly do better and it is probably a little bit of shame for me with a marketing background is like I think as creators copywriters whenever we create things often like 95% goes into content and 5% goes into distribution and we just have you know by the time you you really want to create this amazing thing and of course you know that's really really important but I think you know by the time you've created it you can kind of be like so exhausted and you've forgotten to leave that time for the distribution so I think definitely it's still um, it's still something that I could get better at that we could get better at like we're so focused on making like the best product we can and obviously that bit kind of always comes first that yeah the distribution takes takes a bit of a back seat <laughs> like that is not good for business <laughs> so relatable yeah for sure while, while we're talking about some of the magazine specifics, I'm curious about um, continuing subscriptions or renewals, which is, a, you know, it's a challenge for memberships. It's a challenge for all kinds of things. Obviously, having a great product helps. And the fact that it shows up in your home, it's something that, you know, you you love, you want. Um, but how do you or what do you do to make sure that people are, you know, coming back for year two, year three, so that, um, you know, some of those distribution challenges are eased a little bit? Yeah, so people are on rolling subscriptions. They can cancel at any time. So there's no, well, we have two. We have an annual or we have quarterly. So if people buy annual, obviously they've um, paid for four up front. And if they have quarterly, it will just roll until the cancel. But you can just buy one and, and cancel. You know, it's not, we're not signing people up beyond that. So that definitely helps. Um, but yeah, I think it's still something we can get better at. And actually, we're going to change our business model a little bit going into next year. Um, and we're going to create more of a make on demand model just for efficiencies for us, for the environment, so we can pass efficiencies on in other parts of the business, which means that at the moment, for the quarter, the subscription window is open. Um so you can basically subscribe at any time and like so if the issue drops uh you know if the issue drops in october if you subscribe october november december you'll get that issue but i'm gonna close that subscription window so we're gonna it'll the next issue will drop at the very end of january but i will do kind of a really hard marketing launch for it first week of january which is risky, a bit risky in itself, but I kind of figure people are, are still around, you know. And, um, and so we'll know by the time we go to print exactly how many we're going to print. Um, and it will just mean, you know, hopefully a more kind of effective marketing launch. We, you know, you get to create that sense of urgency again, but actually it just means we get to print pretty much exactly the right of magnitude amount of magazines so that's kind of a new a new thing that we're going to try going into next year because 
with the courses I do, they have, um, you know, they have uh, enrollment windows, like they're all lifetime access, they're all um, on demand, so you can do them any time. But I don't leave them open the whole time for enrollment because, you know, there's never really a marketing push then. Um, and the same thing is kind of happening with the magazine. Like, it's kind of like, okay, it's out now, but then it's kind of like, oh, it's still out, <laughs> it's still out. Um, so I just think from, you know, an environmental perspective, you know, to create efficiencies in every other way, and then also to get our marketing distribution better. Um, and of course, you always have that thing in the back of your mind going, oh, but especially because people share that they've got it and when it comes out, and that's quite a big period for us. But I just think, you know, we just want to create a bit more scarcity around it um so yeah that's what we're going to be trialing next year so sorry does that mean that okay if i see it the january issue i see it in february because rob posts about it and yeah. i want it is, does that mean i can't sign up for it in february i need to wait till the next window is that what you're yeah, saying yeah you'll oh, gotcha. we will have a few individual issues but you won't be able to subscribe so we'll overprint like our normal amount of kind of individual issues that we would so you might be able to buy an individual copy we have some like a couple of indie retailers as well um but in terms of like actually subscribing we're going to close it so yeah you will have to be like i'm going to subscribe like i'm going to make sure i subscribe for the next one i think that's really smart i mean just listening to that like it already you know lights a fire under my tush to like get in there in early january Otherwise, I have to get on the wait list, which is fine, but like I'd rather get on there. So um I'm curious we hear as well, like a lot of people say, um, oh, like I I've been meaning to buy it for ages. You yeah. know, like I've seen yeah. it around and I've been meaning to buy it. And obviously if it's just kind of there the whole time, um you can at any time. And I we just want to change that because otherwise we're kind of overprinting, um, yeah, and it just makes our marketing a bit lazy. Whereas now I want to be like, this is what you're going to get. Like, m- you know, make sure you sign up for it this week, and this is all the stuff you're going to get. And then we can kind of put that, put the distribution phase to bed, focus on the opera, you know, the the content bit, focus on making the next issue, and it just makes. I just feel like it's going to make so smart, yeah. Every, hopefully, <laughs> it's real. It's real. Podcast. It's real scarcity. I mean, as marketers, we want to create as much scarcity as we can. And you've got <laughs> real scarcity now, I think, working for you, which is cool. Um, okay, I want to step back a little bit more and talk kind of more holistically about the entire business and whatever you're comfortable sharing. Mm-hmm. Like I'm trying to think about you have courses and you I think you have maybe some sponsors and like ads, and then you have a course like the subscription. So mm-hmm. um how does it all work together? Are there almost like bundles where you get the membership and you get the subscription and then maybe you get a course and and then financially, like where does most of the revenue come from now? Is it from those advertisers or from the subscription or from a different part of the business? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, spinning a lot of plates. It kind of depends on <laughs> one of them tends to get dropped. Um, so the magazine financially kind of looks after itself but we haven't you know it's obviously scalable and we haven't is not kind of driving loads of profit um I think one you know I'm hoping one of the other reasons that is that uh all of our subscribers come direct so they like bar a couple of indie retailers like we didn't kind of push for retail and there's another reason for that in terms of like it just costs an enormous amount of money to kind of go to the newsstand and you know you have to overprint like you have to print 30,000 copies and yeah I wasn't sure like I mean a we didn't have the money and b I wasn't sure that whether this was really uh, a, a, a publication that sat in you know WH Smith or something like that in the UK um so all of our all of us our, our relationship with all of our subscribers is direct which is amazing because you know that's the community that we're building but I think that will it will take us longer in terms of and also we wanted like I always wanted 
it to be read. You know, I didn't, I thought thought the kind of, some of the failures of, of the, the print publication industry were coming from the fact that there were full circulation figures. So you might be giving out a publication for free. You're saying that you're sending it to 10,000 people. You know, you're relying then on the ad spend because you're telling advertisers that you've got 10,000 going out. But in reality, they're sitting in cellophane on people's desks. Then the advertising doesn't work. So the advertisers pull their spend. And then, you know, so I was like, Do you know, what? I would rather it was small and everyone was like really engaged. Like we were charging people like a decent amount of money for it. So that's kind of the mag. Yeah, we have advertising through the magazine as well. So um, that supports the production of the magazine. And then, yeah, the courses are kind of a nice chunk of revenue that that supports that a bit. And helps me feed myself <laughs> and pay other people so there's just there's an enormous amount of cost now really like there's just stuff you know it is that classic thing of like you know now kind of having a six-figure business but like basically having six-figure costs <laughs> so, yeah. and it starts to get kind of scary in that respect um yeah but yeah the courses are, are really good for um, you know, we try and target the things that are going to be most useful for the community and they get really good reviews. And yeah, we have one on LinkedIn, we have one on growing your own newsletter and then some other couple of mini courses. And that's like an area that I'm really going to look to expand kind of in the next year or two. Um, yeah, and they're a great, you know, I would kind of advise anyone to consider setting up their own course like I think it's a really good way of productizing your business um you know remember that you don't have to be like an absolute expert in that arena like people don't want to learn you know how to cook off like a cordon bleu chef they want to learn how to cook off like a personal trainer who is like you know cooking quick healthy meals you don't you only have to be like a few steps ahead of other people you don't have to be like absolute top of your game in any kind of in any realm I don't think so don't think that you don't have things to teach people but um I also found it you know really cathartic to kind of empty out my brain and and kind of sort out you know how I would best teach people how to do things and then you know you're then allowing them to go and do that in their own time as well and it's scalable because you don't have to be there do you so yeah courses are, are like really really good for us and we we you know kind of quickly incorporated that as part of the magazine but everything you buy individually so you buy a course some of our courses we bundle but yeah we don't have a kind of overall membership you buy the magazine you buy a course you buy an ad yeah that all that all makes sense um as so you've done something sophie that i think is amazing you know, we we all talk about you know building a business that lives without us or that doesn't depend on our names it's hard to do when we're working one on one with clients but you've built an asset that is ultimately sellable and i'm i'm curious is that the goal someday to you know sell freelancer magazine to a big magazine publisher or conglomerate or is it so much a labor of love that you see yourself doing this until you you know you're 109 years old oh it, i mean it feels a, a long way off if that is the case and you know um it was never the intention i guess i mean never say never um you know i did i suppose as a marketer I was keen to create a brand and I was, you know, and again, I was always keen to have my own business. I was then really keen to have a product. And that was never about initially, it was never about being able to sell that one day. Um, you know, it was about, yeah, just kind of creating a brand and having something to market that wasn't yourself. If you see what I mean, it, just to see if you kind of, could basically um but yeah never say never in terms of the end goal but and I do like I don't know it's difficult isn't it I like you know people buy from people so I very much you know like the, one of the best channels for the magazine is like my personal LinkedIn that certainly does a lot better than any of our like you know than our company page on LinkedIn which I think is to do a lot with 
where LinkedIn puts in its engagement. So, you know, in some respects, I am happy to be the face of the magazine. And in other respects, I do love the fact that it, it you know, it exists as a kind of separate entity. And um, yeah, it's about the whole team and the whole community. And, and, you know, I suppose for the first year or so, my identity felt really closely attached to it. You know, it was kind of like, I was like, am I the magazine? <laughs> Especially because I was writing so much of it. And it's really nice now to think that it sort of does exist separate to me. Even if just for my own mental health. <laughs> yeah, it's it's fun when, like, even with the Copywriter Club and having that separate brand, when I hear people talk about it sometimes and they don't even know maybe who I am. I'm like, that's amazing. That's yeah. a win. <laughs> I mean, I think as freelancers, you know, to create that bit of separation and, and whether that's what you call your business or not, you know, I don't know if I have a strong opinion that if it should be named after you or it should be named something else. But I just think um, to get into a business mindset, you know, it's so difficult as a freelancer because you're so personally attached to your business and I know you know regardless of what business but it just feels even more difficult as a freelancer than if you kind of own your own small business but I just think yeah to be able to create as much kind of separation as you can in order to kind of make business decisions and not feel like it's always you kind of you know doing everything or pouring yourself into everything or yeah, just from pricing and, and marketing yourself and everything like that. I just think that's really, really helpful as well. So I know I'm getting into the weeds with numbers, but I think it would be helpful to know roughly like how, as far as you said, it's self-sustaining right now, the magazine side and subscription side is mm -hmm. self-sustaining. Like when, when is it at the point where it is truly profitable at scale? Like roughly what number at your price point for magazine because it might be helpful for someone who's interested to just kind of know roughly like okay well at this price point it could be run it's on its own at this number and then if I get to this point like it could be profitable I think it gives me some hope yeah, for least. sure I mean at the moment we have around a thousand subscribers direct but we also sell um copies in bulk a little bit to universities and things like that um co-working spaces and and this is quarterly as well right so you've got to remember you're timesing that by four not by 12 if it's monthly or something like that. but god forbid you set up a monthly magazine <laughs> I think I'd considered it for about five seconds and then I was like yeah I'm so glad we didn't do it monthly um and then we also on some uh, I don't know how to best describe them I should really know better but um, like distributors that kind of put us throughout like universities worldwide and stuff like that and you get money and, and uh, universities and libraries and things like that so you, we get some money from things like that I guess it just really depends like you've got to keep a close eye on your costs you know I could be doing more of it myself and cutting down the writing team but it depends if I want to make this sustainable and also it's really nice to have the different voices so I think we invest like it probably costs us more than it could um but maybe you want to be looking at like I mean you know I think to kind of to aim to get to like four or five thousand for an indie publication but you know we've been going two and a half years and we've kind of got to a thousand direct subscribers and um yeah it's hard work it's really hard work let's hope that a few people listening to the podcast subscribe and maybe we can get you to you know a thousand, you a thousand thousand fifty or yeah maybe two thousand yeah. yeah two thousand that'd be great <laughs> <laughs> so uh earlier Sophie you mentioned burnout and you know even the talk of you know going monthly would probably kill you kill your team how do you deal with that when I mean I, I, a lot of us have this where we've got deadlines. We know we have to hit the deadlines, but uh, you know, when you're leading that team, when you have built, you know, you've just wrapped a magazine it's gone to print, you're exhausted. And now immediately you've got to start the next one. Talk us through that, how that works for you. 
Yeah, I mean, to be honest, because I did the first four myself, it just feels like a dream now. Like, it feels like so good to have, like, people writing articles and, send, you know, sending them. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's probably not my tip for burnout is, like, you know, burn out the first year and then everyone, everything else is to seem easier after that. That's probably not good advice. It's, a, it's the reality, <laughs> though. That That's probably the most lived uh, version of burnout that happens. Honestly, after, I mean, there was, I just think, like the kickstarter because it was you know it was probably a month having the idea a month of the kickstarter and i you know and then like making the first magazine in that time as well and honestly at the time i was like doing 50 tweets a day during the kickstarter you know sending emails or like i was just there and you just do not realize like how much adrenaline is searing through your body i think like how much like to to you know to get to a deadline to get to a client project um I don't know like I've just moved house recently and I just think god you just have like so much adrenaline and then there's this kind of crash um and yeah I I had to get a business coach like as soon as the issue one launched I don't think I even sent an email to say it was out like that's <laughs> like here it is just that's find the content. It. yeah like that's the content versus distribution for you um so I literally had this business coach and I was like just launched my dream business like I have to make another three issues because I promised people and I really really want to but I really don't know how I'm going to do that right now um so uh do you know what like I actually have just joined this co-working space today as well because I was working from home some of the time like I've just moved to a different part of the country so just think surrounding yourself with like other people um you know changing environments like just trying to recognize as much as you can like I just think we're so good at knowing what's kind of good for us like exercise fresh air good food um yeah like being around other people um you know we have the virtual co-working as well like I said before so I just think I I'm really bad at going oh my god I've got so much work to do I don't want to see anybody and that is just catastrophic for me in a lot of ways, like a few, you know, a few days or a few weeks or 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 something later. So yeah, I'm still definitely trying to get better at it as well, like trying to get better at yeah, just kind of you know, it's just we're all you know, most people are deadline thrill seekers, aren't they? But just kind of trying to do yourself a favor in that respect in terms of um I don't know, like there's stuff like the magazine always gets done and it and that always goes quite well I find it's the other things that I really put off so I'll put off like posting on LinkedIn I'll put off like doing outreach for advertising because they're not the things that they either don't come so naturally to me or they're just the things that slip to the bottom of the list or you know and then I kind of feel guilty about those things and that kind of eats me up and I just think if you have those sort of tasks that you know you should be doing to try and do them first or you know to try and say I'm gonna do them on a Monday morning because otherwise they're just like niggling and it's affecting everything else that you do yeah again just so relatable I'm like thinking about the LinkedIn posts that I've written in my head but like haven't posted yet and like the job I you know want to run today probably won't make time for it so I that really speaks to me um I kind of want to shift and cover maybe some advice for freelancers, more specifically copywriters in our audience. You know, it's been a tough year for so many of them with different layoffs and losing retainer clients and trying to navigate AI and figure out what role do we play moving forward. And so, you know, maybe there's some magazine content um, or just some advice you could offer us as far as like how do you think about the future for freelancers and for copywriters? How are you approaching it? Yeah, I mean, so kind of leading on from what I was saying, I would say, you know, and, and I've I've done it difficult times or we might have had a difficult couple of months and it is easy to kind of like bury your head in the sand a little bit. Um, and I just think two bits of advice to kind of take control of your business as much as you can would be to keep talking to other people you know keep I think the worry for me a little bit was that you know in the pandemic 
everyone was everyone was buggered basically everyone was a bit screwed and everyone was talking about it and it was cool and then you know especially in the UK and I'm not sure like in terms of you know I know, I know a lot of economies around the world are suffering a lot but um speaking on behalf of the UK um you know I know kind of a lot of people were worried about their mortgage their mortgages their mortgage payments kind of going up at, towards the end of this year and into next year and kind of at the beginning of this year people were very vocal about it because it hadn't happened yet and you know the cost of living crisis and all of these things and it feels a bit now that people have gone quiet about it because it kind of is happening and people are burying their heads in the sand and people are scared and that's totally understandable and I just think you know you don't have to be kind of going out on LinkedIn going oh my god I'm desperate for work you know but no one really wants to be doing that I just think keep like you know keep kind of chatting to people even if it's kind of one-to-one you're going to like local networking events or co-working spaces it's sometimes I find it a lot easier to talk to people and confide in people like in person so keep chatting to people keep being part of communities and then I would also say one of the most important things you can do before you do anything else is to do like a cash flow forecast or to do your accounts to work out your costs going forward because you can work out if there's ways that you can save money you can work out how much you really do need to earn and that will give you some really clear goals um going into going into 2024 um i think other than that like i would consider how you can niche more how you can you know the, all the kind of normal marketing advice that i would give people but um yeah that that I think if you're kind of going out there still being like a bit of a generic copywriter it's going to be much harder for you to kind of target specific audiences I would consider targeting a specific industry or something like that at the moment because I think that just makes it a lot easier for you to be more efficient with your marketing to be more targeted with your marketing um you know like we talked about earlier like maybe you're going to be pitching to people and things like that um, I would, you know, I think LinkedIn is a great channel. I've seen people use it and get results very, very quickly. So, you know, I think as freelancers, we know that there's going to be some like short lead, there's going to be some long lead. But if you are kind of looking for work quicker, I would say that LinkedIn is a really good place to do it. You know, just the obvious things that we all forget to do, like emailing past clients emailing current clients asking if they've got more work like this is the first thing you should be doing if you if you you know and this is something that we should have in our diaries once a month pitching to current clients emailing past clients and just saying hey like have you got anything and just making that that a regular thing so and you know that's the sort of thing that if you're part of communities that you will see come up that other people will give you the advice to do you know like um, people can give you advice how to cold pitch or if they've had success cold pitching and things like that. So I think those would be some of my best like best bits of advice. Um, the AI thing, tempted to wade in on it. Like I know very little about AI. I have, I don't, I haven't never really used ChatGPT, but I do my, what I do think is it's the people that, kind of get on with it that realize you know that 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 it can be used for you know it's not going to replace certain functions but it is going to be like it is going to be good to support certain things I think I just worry that I see a lot of people complaining about it and I just don't think as a business owner that's going to get you anywhere like it's not going to change things and if I use an example uh a few years ago a lot of my community were on Twitter and kind of pe some people started using LinkedIn and it was like the real kind of uh fashionable thing to do to slag off LinkedIn and like still is a little bit to some extent right like it's a CV site there's lots of humble brags but some people started seeing the power of using LinkedIn and saw that maybe it wasn't, you know, going to replace other channels necessarily, even though I do think it has to some extent, but actually just kind of, okay, let's take a look at this. Maybe there is some interest there. We're almost kind of 
early adopters to the second phase of LinkedIn and actually saw that while kind of loads of people are sort of slagging it off and not using it, there's actually an opportunity to stand out on this platform. So I just think actually there probably is an opportunity while lots of people are saying, oh God, like just kind of fighting against it. If you're the person that's saying, hey, like I use it for this, this and this, and I'm actually like, you know, getting ahead with it a little bit, even though it's not the fashionable thing to do in kind of freelance circles at the moment or copywriting circles, then I think you're going to stand out more and you're going to give yourself a, an advantage as a business owner because we're all using AI in some some ways right now, right? And I think it's just about trying to learn how it can support you and how it can help you and how you can stand out, you know, to clients by using it in certain ways. And yeah, I do not think, you know, we've been going, we've been trying for so long to get companies to speak like human beings and to write really, really nice copy. And so many companies are still so far off that, like so many big companies, they still need help. And AI is just not going to be able to do that. Like AI is not going to be able to like really, really, think and write like humans and people aren't going to be able to tell it's AI so I think there's still loads and loads of opportunity to stand out in that respect. My last question is really about leadership and you know you've stepped into this role leading this this organization now which is different than being the freelancer and kind of working solo so do you have any leadership related advice to any writers listening who are interested in building a team, even if it's not necessarily with the magazine, but they want to build out a team and they're maybe, they don't think of themselves as leaders yet. Yeah, for sure. I mean, to be honest, I always thought I was a really crap manager. Like I'd never really, like when I was employed, I just didn't really want to manage people. Um, I don't know, like now I think it's getting the right people. Like it's, you know, I, I, struggled outsourcing at the beginning and I think there is a bit of trial and error and that wasn't necessarily choosing the wrong people it was more my fault of um I didn't know what I wanted to outsource so I think um you know I think just trying to be like as fair like you've just got to be a good client really haven't you like you've got to be the best client you can and I think yeah I'm in a really really fortunate position now where you know, I am friends with a lot of the people that work for us, like all of them, really. Like we have, a, you know, a, a close relationship. We mess about. It's all, you know, I don't like to do business in a really formal way at all. But at the same time, the deliverables are clear. The deadlines are clear. I'm going to pay people like within seven seconds if I can, you know, because, um you know, it's just the easiest way to build like good relationships. Like, I just don't get people paying late, to be honest. I'm just like, easiest way to build a good relationship with your like team or freelancers is to 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 pay them as quickly as you possibly can. Like, you're gonna have to pay them at some point. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah, I think that's what I would say. Like, be honest with people. Um, I probably could give people better feedback again. Like I think as an editor, um, I was so delighted that like I had these amazing writers writing for me that I'm just a bit like, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And like, if I was making a couple of tweaks to it, I kind of wasn't going back to people. I was just telling them it was amazing, which it is. But I think, you know, to spend that time, like that's something that I, I want to work on more is to spend the time kind of, you know that it's difficult when you're putting together a hundred page magazine to kind of sit down and say to everyone okay like this is some really really constructive feedback especially when you're just kind of blown away by you know what people are doing so yeah I would say you don't have to be super formal you don't have to be you know this kind of what this perception of business should be like that's you know the whole reason I've set up my own business is because I didn't want to be stuffy and formal and things like that anymore but I do think that you have to be fair and you have to give people time and give them 
you know, specific deliverables and deadlines and people kind of need to know that you're serious about those things. And you will get the right people. You know, if people don't stick to those things, you kind of learn very, very quickly. So I think, um, yeah, and people will kind of respect the way that you lead by example, right? So, um, yeah, I would say that you want to, you want to be working the way that you want other people to to work with you. Yeah, more more good advice. Okay, Sophie, um, tell us about the next issue of the magazine. What's coming out at the end of January? Uh, what can we expect? And um, yeah, how do we sign up? So the next issue is going global. So that's really exciting. Um, you can sign up through uh, the website, which is freelancermagazine.co.uk. We deliver globally. We have digital versions, so you can get it in your inbox straight, straight away. So, um, yeah, it's going to be out at the end of January. It's 100 pages of freelance stories, features, knowledge, lots of advice for marketing yourself. You will you know it's difficult I always it's difficult to explain it but like you will instantly feel part of the community like I promise you will there's like so many details of different people to connect with um so yeah you can kind of if you're not already in the freelancer magazine circles of like the world's loveliest friendliest most supportive freelancers then you know get the magazine start connecting with people drop them a message say that you've you know seen them in the magazine or found them in the magazine start getting you know um finding other readers online as well because just you know this is the whole point of the magazine is that, that we were all working in isolation and actually in that respect how do we know what to do how do we know how to price ourselves how do we know how to market ourselves like it kind of leaves the clients in control of it more and I think that you know for the good of us but also for the good of clients we need to be taking a bit more control over over everything really so yeah surround yourself with this amazing community that you know you can help lift and are going to help lift you and let's get through 2024 together There's something magical about uh, great magazines. I remember back in the 90s when Fast Company launched and there was like this this community that was you know around it and people talking about it and and uh, I feel like there's something similar happening with your magazine too, Sophie. So yeah, let's oh, so let's much. hop on board and and we'll that see yeah how we can connect with more people within this community. Copywriters, designers, all freelancers of all kinds. Yeah, for sure. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thanks for jumping in here. And I'm excited to sign up for my copy Ooh. before the debt. What is the deadline? Well, when is it the deadline? Be, so if you sign up now, you'll get the current issue. Um, it switches at the end of December. And then we're going to close it. Like, I mean, if you sign up front, so we have a weekly newsletter called The Dunker. Um, so if you go to the website, uh, forward slash Dunker, um, you can sign up for that and you'll get all the emails so you will not miss it and you'll get this awesome weekly business and creativity newsletter that we 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 put out every week for news uh, for freelancers um but yeah it'll be like around the 8th of january i think Fantastic. all right thanks sophie thank you thank you That's the end of our interview with Sophie Cross. I want to add just a couple of other thoughts to our conversation, maybe to give you an idea and insight to think about as you apply these ideas into your own business. You know, as Kira and I were talking with Sophie, Kira immediately messaged me and said, you know, I want to run a magazine like Sophie's. And I had the exact same thought. What she has created is really cool. And these are the kinds of things that make us wish that we had thought of them first. And as we were chatting about the idea of creating a magazine, Sophie said something that really stood out. She said one of the reasons that she started the magazine was that she wanted a way to get noticed. And by taking the lead as editor and publisher, she did that. She stands up and says, hey, I'm an expert in this thing. It effectively built her into an authority figure in the freelancing space. We experienced a lot the same when we started this podcast. It was a way to stand out from all the other copywriters in the world who weren't showing up week after week talking about copy or persuasion or business. And it almost immediately turned us into authorities in the copywriting world. Uh, It's one of the reasons that we were invited to the Copy Legends lock-in with 17 other 
top copywriters in the world. And I'm not sharing this to brag, but rather to get you thinking, what can you do to stand out? What can you build that makes you different? There are still lots of opportunities for things like podcasts or magazines or something entirely different from those focused on the niche and clients that you serve. If you want to stand out, you really need to be the only person offering something that your best clients want. So that was thought number one. Thought number two uh, is around our discussion of creating courses. And we you know, talked about, you know, should you create your own course? Sophie suggested that it's still a good business model. And we agree 100%. But as we talked about on last week's episode, courses are often touted as a way to get away from one-on-one -on -one client work. They do work for that. They can be great. In fact, you're going to find several courses on our website at thecopywriterclub.com, courses that teach you how to write copy, how to use AI to brainstorm and create copy and content, as well as uh, a course on how to find clients and how to do pitching properly. But, and this is a big but, cue the Beavis and Butthead laughter there, there is nothing passive about selling courses. Just like attracting clients, you need to spend time attracting course buyers. And the economics of courses has changed over time. They are slowly becoming less costly to sell, but that also means that you need to sell more of them to make your monthly number, which then requires you to spend more time and sometimes more money attracting the next set of course buyers. It can be a great addition to your offering, but it's not a cure-all for a business that struggles to attract clients. You're likely to have the same struggles attracting buyers. So just keep that in mind if you decide to build a course. It definitely helps to have an email list uh, like Sophie's, you know, several thousand people who you can share your courses with on a regular basis. Finally, Sophie's advice on leadership and surrounding yourself with the right team is spot on. Having the right people around you is critical, especially if you are working with them to create whatever it is that you do for your clients. Even if you don't have a team to support you, being part of a community that you can rely on can play a really big part in your business success. We talked a lot about how freelancers form a community. And of course, the Copywriter Underground that I mentioned at the top of the show is that kind of community as well. Supportive copywriters helping each other with templates and training and coaching and ideas and insights and even sharing leads. All of these things to help you make more progress in your business. It's definitely worth checking out at thecopywriterclub.com forward slash TCU. I want to thank Sophie for joining us to chat about her business and Freelancer Magazine. Of course, we think you should subscribe to Sophie's Quarterly Magazine. You can find it at freelancermagazine.co.uk. While you're there, be sure to subscribe to her weekly newsletter, The Dunker, and check out all of the other free resources on the site. There's some really good stuff there that will help you in your journey as a freelancer. That's the end of this episode of the Copywriter Club podcast. The intro music was composed by copywriter and songwriter Addison Rice. The outro was composed by copywriter and songwriter David Muntner. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please visit Apple Podcasts to leave a review of the show. And don't miss our other podcast at AIforcreativeentrepreneurs.com. You can also watch that on YouTube or listen wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. We will see you next week. Copywriters coming together to help the world write better, copy and make more money. Kira and Rob's Copywriters Club.